who would like sermon notes and don't have them, would you kindly slip up your hand and we will get you a set of sermon notes if you'd like to use those to follow along. Hey, you guys okay if I stay down here today? Since the crowd's smaller and uh, we're not pushed quite so far back, I like being close to you anyway. All right, good. So if you need sermon notes, kindly slip up your hand, we'll get you those notes. Now, may I begin today by making some assumptions. Now, as you know, assumptions can be very dangerous, but here goes anyway. I assume, okay, yep, right up here, thank you. I assume that you are here today because you believe in God. Is that fair? I I assume you're here today because you believe in God. You believe in a God who has a plan for you and your life. Okay? I also assume you believe nothing happens by accident and everything happens for a reason. Safe assumption? Okay. Because most of us are seeking God, a better question than where am I going, a better question than where am I going might be where is God going or how do I fit into the plan God's plan and where he is going. That's a much better question to begin with this morning. Notice I did not ask you, how does God fit into my plans? I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of that. God, how do you fit into my plans? In order to get the right answer, we've got to ask the right question. And so we begin with what I believe is the better question. Some of us who are searching for answers really have given up hope, quite honestly. I try to get answers to what life's about, but the whole and soul that we've been talking about these past weeks as we've been examining the book of Ecclesiastes, this whole and the soul knows no end, and it's frustrating, and it's lingering, and it's been going on for quite some time in our lives. In fact, for some of us, life is miserable. And even though on the exterior we couldn't tell, on the inside this wrestling has just kind of worn us out. What is this all about anyway? Many of us then feel restless and dissatisfied. We get bored and we just don't know how this all fits together. And we wonder, we wonder some questions there. If I am in God's will, and that's where I want to be, if I am in the center of God's will, and they say that's where you're supposed to be, why am I so tired and feeling unfulfilled? Why is that? If I am in the center of God's will, shouldn't I just be like, yahoo, all the time? Hmm. When I look back on it all, will I be happy with the way my life has gone, with what I've done with my life? Will I really be satisfied when it's time for me to go home? Hmm. Why do I feel so burned out, so disillusioned, so dry so much of the time? Aren't Christians supposed to be living on a different plane and and a little more upbeat and a little more positive and a little more happening? So many of us run to escape these questions. You know, honestly, I do feel like that some of the time. Maybe most of the time you may be saying to yourself, So we run to work, we run to addictions, we run to activities, we run to relationships, we run, we run, we run. We perform for others in hopes that someone might notice that we are valuable, that we do have some meaning and some purpose for being on this earth and breathing the air, right? So we perform. 
I believe there is a better way. I believe Solomon spoke of this nearly 3,000 years ago. Here's what he wrote. Notice the way God does things, then fall in the line. Don't fight the ways of God. Don't fight the ways of God. For those of you that have spent any amount of time wrestling with God, who always wins? He's undefeated. He's undefeated, right? Yeah. Anytime we try to wrestle with God, and we all try to wrestle with God, he's going to win. So I like the, the thinking here. Notice the way God does things and fall in line. Don't fight the ways of God. Sounds kind of simple, but let's unpackage it. So we turn our attention again this morning to the guy who was really, really hard to buy for because he had everything. Hmm. His name was Solomon. He was King Solomon 3,000 years ago. He was the son of David. He of David and Goliath fame. And you all know the story of David and Goliath, right? This was his boy. With God's guidance, Solomon conquered the world at that time became the most powerful man on the earth he was also the wisest man in the earth the bible says that has ever lived solomon looked for the right answers to life questions in a number of wrong places right answers wrong places he left us with some words of wisdom as he experienced life so that we might avoid what he ran into so we could search for significance in the right places rather than the wrong places that he ended up. And so he's looking back on his life and he's saying, let me give you a few pointers here, a few little tips that might save you a lot of aggravation. So I invite you to return with me again to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're not sure where that is, this slide will help. It's a part of the wisdom literature in Scripture. The wisdom literature, it's which five books of the Bible? Job, Psalms. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those five books constitute what's called the wisdom literature of Scripture. And we've covered that in previous messages, so we won't go back there. But Solomon reached a point in his life where everything seemed pointless. It seemed kind of futile and foolish and empty. So he recalled and recorded for us in this book his search for significance, his hunt for happiness, his pursuit of pleasure, and where it led him and the results of where it led him. So let's examine his journey again. Solomon had it all. He had smarts. He calls himself the teacher. Professor Solomon was the wisest man in the world. He wrote 3,000 wise sayings we call Proverbs. He wrote over 1,000 songs. Incredibly intelligent. He could lecture on a number of topics, both scientific and uh, you, you name it. And the Bible records that leaders came from around the world just to sit at his feet to listen to him speak. He was incredibly intelligent, incredibly wise. What did Solomon learn from all of his learning? What did he learn? What was the life application to the fact that he knew a whole bunch of stuff? Well, he wrote about that in chapter 1. He says this, I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself, very strong word, I devoted myself, he wrote, to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. And really, it is all meaningless like chasing the wind. Yeah, I know a bunch of stuff. Whoopee! Yeah, I'm the wisest guy who ever lived. Where does it get me? It's all kind of meaningless in the end, he's saying. So Solomon suggests that if you search for significance and purpose with your head, you are going to get a headache. 
That's the application to all this. Try as we might, the hole in our soul cannot be filled intellectually. Would you agree with that? Now, the Bible is not anti-education. I want to make sure we understand that. The Bible says that we should be growing in grace and knowledge in, in, in all areas of life. The Bible is not anti-education. Hear carefully what I'm saying and don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? It does say that we need to grow intellectually. That's important. But attempting to find purpose and meaning and direction fulfillment in our lives can't be found in the library. It can't be found off of a Google search. Not going to happen. I don't care how, ma- how good you are at trivia. I don't really care, right? It doesn't satisfy what's going on deep, deep within our souls. So, Solomon wrote, To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Ooh. Let me give you some further advice. Be careful. Much study wears you out. And together all the students said, Amen. Okay. Okay. We're all on the same page here. So he had the smarts, right? Where did it get him? I got a headache. I think I'm going to bed because uh, my head really, really hurts. And I'm not getting any answers here. Right? So let's try success. Let's try success. Smarts doesn't work. Let's try success. Solomon continues search by indulging his every pleasure. Okay? I'm a successful man. Therefore, no pleasure is beyond me. So here's what he wrote. This is found in chapter 2, starting verse 1. Solomon speaking. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. Yeah. After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. I'll just get drunk. (laughs) Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. Can you imagine talking like that? I denied myself no pleasure. Everything's on the table. Guess what he got? Heartache to go along with his headache. It's all meaningless, utterly meaningless. The party animal was all partied out, pleasure and prosperity, living for the weekend. He had it all, wine, women, song, all there, booze, pills, lines, sex. They can fix things for a while. We can put band-aids on all these questions that are just gnawing at the inside of us. Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the point to all this? And so we keep slapping these band-aids on it. But they won't fill the soul that God has put in each one of our souls, that hole in the soul. To know him, to find fulfillment in him. How many of you tried some of those things to fill that hole in the soul? Yeah, I have. How far did that get you? Yeah. Oh, it's pleasurable for a season. The Bible says that. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but you know what? That season ends. Then what you got? So, some more questions. This book is just filled with questions. It fills me with questions. One of my favorite books of the Old Testament. How can we feel so empty on such a full stomach? How can we feel so empty on such a full stomach? Solomon had only the best food and drink of his day, yet his soul was anorexic. How can this be? How can it be? How can sex lose its appeal? He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. Now Solomon had it made. But he found out that sex promises so much more than it delivers over the long haul. Let me talk to the guys just for a moment. Now imagine you had a thousand beautiful women at your command. 
And they would do anything you wanted, anytime you wanted. All right, enough of that thinking. I don't want lust. Knock it off. Okay. But that's what Solomon had. That's what Solomon had. Was this harem heavenly? What have we learned about the life of Solomon? Wasn't quite so heavenly, was it? In fact, they end up turning his heart away from God, according to 1 Kings. This whole idea of, of sex and, and in our culture is just so prevalent. Any TV... Well, anyway, that's too much. You get that. Solomon's looking back on it all, and he's writing with some remorse and regret. He doesn't want us to make the same mistakes that he did. Yeah, I got women everywhere. Successful, right up to here. And where did it get me? <laughs> meaningless. Meaningless. This is so meaningless. How come the music sounded so flat? How come the music sounded so flat in Solomon's life? Solomon had singers, dancers, choirs. Anytime he wanted music, boom, it was there. He doesn't sport the latest set of Dr. Dre's, listening to this kind of stuff. Spotify, our heart radio, forget it. He had live bands anytime he wanted them. It meant nothing. How come the beauty of the garden wilted so quickly? So Solomon surrounds himself with all of this beautiful landscaping and, oh my goodness, the lovely sights and smells that, that were just permeated his life. Couldn't hide the hurt that he had in his heart and the searching that he had in his soul. It wouldn't do it. Something was missing, sounds to me, like suburban America with our landscape grounds and our manicured lawns and the fences that we put up and the fortresses that we build. And behind all of that is just this meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Where do we go with this? So how come possessions can poison? How come possessions can poison? Scholars estimate that Solomon was the richest man who ever lived in human history. He was the richest man who ever lived in human history. The Bible gives a very detailed account of his possessions and how much he was taking in annually in gold and precious and all this stuff. And scholars wisely say that he was the richest man who ever lived. And people would kill to have just a fraction of what he had. And today, lotteries and off-track betting parlors, casinos, attract millions of people hoping that their ship is going to come in and maybe going to live a little bit more like Solomon. Right? But how come possessions can poison? Reality game shows give us screaming people doing some really dumb stuff to win big prizes and lots of money. It's fun to watch them make idiots of themselves, isn't it? Yeah, Okay. One rich dude with a bankrupt soul. That was Solomon. He was trying. He's searching. Can he find it? How come the climb up the corporate ladder comes up short? Huh. If, significant, if real significance in life is uh, found, it's not found by filling our head. It's not by having every pleasure satisfied. It's not done that way. Maybe it happens through the work of our hands. Maybe it happens through my own effort. Maybe if I just try hard enough, I can find significance. And so Solomon writes about that. Chapter 2. He uses these words. I made, I built, I bought, I owned, I collected, I hired, I had everything a man could desire. That's the bottom line. I had everything a man could desire. In chapter 2. In fact, in those 
seven verses, 2, 4 through 11, he uses 35 personal pronouns. I, me, my, myself. 35 of them in those few short verses. Look what I did. Look what I have. And King Solomon came to the conclusion that all of this stuff was like chasing the wind. That's the way he put it. It's like chasing the wind. You try to tame a tornado or harness a hurricane, How's that going to work for you? It doesn't. He understood that. Finding fulfillment in life can be frustrating if we're looking in the wrong places. Solomon searched in all these places. So he writes that life under the sun was meaningless. It is meaningless. And as we talked about this before, he used it 29 times in the 12 chapters of this book. Utterly meaningless. Everything under the sun, under the sun, is utterly meaningless. Now, he's talking about life's perspective that only includes what we have right here, what we can see and touch and do for ourselves. That's what under the sun means, confined to this. And if this is all there is, man, we're in big trouble, right? However, Solomon discovered there's another way to look at life from above the sun. That is from God's perspective. So if we're caught here and looking at life this way, it's going to be meaningless. There is a different way to look at life, and it's above the sun from God's perspective. And God's plan, God's will, God's way. That's where meaning and purpose comes from. And we'll conclude with some thoughts about that from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now Solomon wrote, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Understand what he's saying. God has put eternity in the human heart. We are all made in the image of God. Part of that means he has put eternity in every human being's heart if we're constantly looking at life under the sun we are missing the big picture god has put the big picture in each one of our souls he has put eternity in your heart in my heart but if we are confined and our vision is restricted to this which we can see we're going to come up way way short that makes sense to you Significance comes when we put God and His plan at the center of our lives, that which is eternal, that which is beyond the temporal, and then we begin to understand what's really important about life. And for some of us, that comes when we're a young person. For some of us, it comes on our deathbed. I'm hoping that for all of us and for this church, it happens now. Because God has placed eternity in the human heart and he will make everything beautiful in his time, right? And so we've got to get on his time. So here's four words that I found to summarize this plan of God as he puts eternity within the human heart. Now, understand again, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work. We miss it all the time. He's always there for us. He's always there for me. We just say, he's always there for me. Yeah, 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 but I'm going to go and do my own thing now, right? And we forget about God's plan. The fact that he put eternity in our hearts and it's right there. This is what brings value and meaning and purpose to life. Number one is steady. God's time is always the right time. For everything, there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven. Sorry, home group, we're talking about these verses. So this, you can shut down just for a moment, right? Everything has its time. You agree with that statement? Everything has its time. There's now a gift you can buy for someone else or for yourself. It's a clock that runs backwards. 
And what you do is you program it. And you put your age in there, some of your vital stats, it will project how long you're going to live on the face of this earth. And the clock's winding down. Kind of interesting, isn't it? How much time do I have left? What am I going to do with the time that I have left? It kind of puts things into perspective because the clock's running. And it's not going this way. It's going... And the older it gets, the faster it happens, doesn't it? <laughs> Everything has its time. My problem is that sometimes my watch, even though it's an Apple watch, oh, I love Apple watch, right? It's not synced with God's time. This is my time, not God's time. You see, he's the quarterback throwing the timing patterns. And if I don't run my route right, we are not going to connect. We're not going to connect. And the game's not going to go very well. Right? His plan is unfolding. There's the right time for every event. It's God's time. Now, sometimes I try to hurry up God's plan. Even when I know it, I say, come on, God, hurry up. Can we get on with this? Just cut to the chase. Let's get to this. But God's patient because he doesn't dwell nor is he confined by time. And sometimes I get impatient. I do. Sometimes I get impatient. How many of you have a hard time with impatience? Would you just slip up your hand? Okay. How many of you who didn't raise your hand have been diagnosed as pathological liars? <laughs> okay, just want to make sure we're on the same page there. All right. <laughs> I'm always thinking ahead. I'm a doer. I'm a doer. I'd much rather play the game than watch the game. How about you? We're always, come on, God, let's get this thing going. <coughs> One Friday night many years ago, my son, my oldest son, Jeremiah, uh, had just gotten his license. And so we had to pick up his glasses at the eye doctor, which was located downtown Main Street. This is not here. Uh, it's in another city. And uh, I said, Jer, uh, how about we go get your glasses? And we're going to take the Honda. Now, the Honda was not a new car, but I love that car. And it was new to our family, and it was a stick shift. Okay? I love driving stick shifts. Just love it. And I think everybody should learn how to drive one, because that's a different story. It was a new experience for Jer. So, man, he killed the car several times in the first few blocks. I'm like, oh, God help me. It was Friday. It's 5 o'clock. It's Main Street. I could feel the hair turning gray in the side of my head. Any of you with teenage? No. I wanted to grab the controls, right? I want to grab the controls. But I was cool. When he came out of the eye doctor, he had his glasses, and he was kind of smiling. I said, Jerry, you want to drive home? And he said, no, Dad, the traffic's too heavy. I said, yes, there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. And I drove home. You see, we have confidence in someone when we can relax in their presence. When we can relax in their presence. How goes it with you and God these days? Are you relaxed in his presence? You see, it's all about who has the controls. And if we're at the controls and we grab the controls from God, uh, then things are going to get a little bit tense. But the whole idea is if we let go of those controls, if we give up those controls, if we say, God, you be in control, things then begin to look a whole lot differently in life and we begin to relax in the presence of God. He is on our side. He is for us. He is. And oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. So who's got control of the controls? I'm not talking about the remote. That's for you as a couple to work out. Okay? I'm talking about 
Who has the control of the controls of your life? Is it you? Is it God? Go ahead, since the crowd's slim because of the snow, I want to give you the opportunity to preach to each other. Turn to your neighbor and just remind them, God is in control and you're not. Okay, so just turn to your neighbor and remind them. Go ahead, preach it, preach it. Preach it like you mean it. Yeah. All right. All right. The point clear? Okay, now we've got to live it. That's our part. Secondly, secondly, it's seasonal. God's plan is seasonal. Again, home group, my apologies. There's a reason for every activity. You know what? I love this season of my life. How many of you are enjoying the season of your life? How many of you are in a season of real struggle in your life right now? Yeah, yeah, honestly. And sometimes it's the same. It's the best and it's the worst of times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I love this season of my life. 28 times Solomon pairs up opposites in this passage that we just read together. 28 times he pairs up opposites to remind us there are seasons of life, there are changes in life, there's a time to do it and there's a time not to do it. 28 times he pairs up these opposites to remind us that we are in a certain season of life. Listen to the words of Jesus. When you see the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes the shower. And you're right. And when the south wind blows, you say, ooh, today's going to be a scorcher, and it is. You fools, you know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you don't know how to interpret the present times. The activity of God around us. You can tell the weather, but you can't sense the activity of God all around us. What season is it between me and my Father? I love this passage because one of my favorite stations is the Weather Channel. It's one of my favorite apps, right? When I grow up, I'd like to be a meteorologist. I think that would be cool. Stand put in front of that blue screen. Try to do that. We got this high-pressure system building. Oh, that would be fun. Uh, So what season is it in your life? What's the next season for you in your life and in your parenting? What's the next season? God's plan is seasonal. Thirdly, it's surprising. Just when we think we got God and life figured out, something happens. Something surprising happens. Have you noticed that? Just when you're kind of cruising along, that wham! Ooh, there's never a dull moment with God. He loves to surprise us. Now, I like to surprise others more than I like to be surprised. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I like to surprise my wife. She doesn't think it's so funny. She's up in the nursery, so I can do this. Nah. Cindy doesn't see real well at night. I do. I like to surprise her. Ah! <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> she doesn't like my surprises. I don't get it. It's, it's fun, right? But I found that if I resist the surprises that God has for me in life, life can be confusing and frustrating and somewhat meaningless. And God loves to throw surprises at us. He does. Go with God. Go with the surprise that he has for you. You may think, what kind of surprise is this? But God loves you. And he's allowed it for a reason. 
and you can trust him. You can trust him. Hmm. Lastly, it's safe. It's safe. His plan for you and me, it's safe. How do I know? For the Bible tells me so. That's how I know. Listen to the words of Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, as he wrote to the nation of Israel. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the kind of God that we know. Based on love. To prosper us, not to harm us. To give us a hope and a future. Whatever God does will endure forever. Because his plan is perfect. And it will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what Solomon wrote. I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Hmm. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Now, where am I going? How do I fit into God's plan? How do I know where God's going? Solomon found that fear, fear was a way to fit into God's plan. Fear is the way to fit into God's plan. Let me kind of just talk about that for a minute. Solomon wrote this right at the end of the book. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Fear God, obey his commands. Notice I said fear and not phobia. Research says there are some 20 million American adults who have a specific phobia. That's a whole lot of Americans characterized by this persistent fear or avoidance of a person or an object that's causing our fear. And so, uh, Jim Block, where are you? Would you stand, please? Good. Adam, where are you? Would you stand? Ron Simulink, would you stand? Okay. Anybody here afraid of these guys? <laughs> the wives, the wives. <laughs> okay, and children. Okay. If you fear these guys, call pelidophobia. It's a fear of bald people. <laughs> now, I just want to demonstrate I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen, for that wonderful demonstration. Nobody here. Anybody here, pelidophobia? Okay, good. You may be seated. You guys are clear. All right. But Americans have all kinds of phobias. This one's pretty cool. Iraqi beauterophobia. The fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I'm more afraid of the picture than I am. (laughs) All right, cut the picture. Now, because of all these phobias, over 3 million Americans suffer from panic disorders, have panic attacks. It's just kind of the nature of the day in which we live, high stress, all that kind of stuff. Irregular heartbeat, breathing difficulties, dizziness, trembling, get the sweats, get all that kind of stuff. We become so anxious and so fearful that we're going to pass out, go crazy, or lose control. Does this make sense? No, it doesn't make sense, but no phobia really makes sense. Solomon says, fearing God is the way to fit into his plans. That's why I said I'm not talking about phobia, I'm talking about fear. So the question is, what is the fear that he's talking about? Hmm. The fear of God fits us into his plans. Now, fearing God involves a recognition of his power. 
of his absolute sovereignty, of his love, his plan, his purpose, all that God is. It's recognizing who he is, and in light of that, who I am. It has to do with respect and reverence. It has to do with awe. It has to do with honor. None of this phobia kind of stuff. Hear what I'm saying? Has to do with awe and honor. Has to do with respect of who he is, of reverence for what he has done. Wow. It has to do with putting our plans, our plans, our dreams, our hopes into his hands. It it means letting go in order to go with God. We've got to let go in order to go with God. Now, God does have a plan for your life. I, I do believe that. It is wonderful. It's liberating when we do it his way. And when we begin to understand that, things begin to change. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Wizard of Oz. Remember when Dorothy the Lion, the Scarecrow, and the Tin Man confront the wizard? Ooh. He, he, here he is, bigger than life, right? Fire-breathing, smoke-belching character. He puts fear, great fear, into the heart of our heroes. Yet behind the curtain is not this great and powerful Oz. It's this lonely old man living a lie, using fear to manipulate the behavior of others. Sometimes we think of God like that. And that makes me sad. Because that's not what the Bible says. He's a father who deeply loves us. He's not manipulating our behavior. He sent his son, Jesus, to take care of all of those fears and all of those anxieties. Look again at the words of the wisest man ever. Fearing God fits me into his plan. Fearing God fits me into his plan. His perfect plan fits me like a glove, just like it was custom made. It's just for you. It's just for me. It's just for your family. It's just for my family. It's just for this church. And it's just for that church. It is the plan and purposes of God Almighty. But the question is, which way are we going to go? Are we ready to go God's way? That means each of us, as we close, has a decision to make. We can put God at the center to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus said, everything else will be added unto you. If you put God at the center, the circumference will take care of itself, Jesus said. But you may be saying and thinking in your mind, I am really attempting to put God at the center of my life and yet on the periphery are all kinds of problems, all kinds of difficulties, and it's almost overwhelming. How do I put these kinds of things together? How do I do that? Do I really believe that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose, even the hard things, even the tough things? You read the story of Jesus lately? Is that like a cakewalk? Read the book of Ecclesiastes, is that like a cakewalk? Nah, it's gut-wrenching, soul-churning, difficult, following Jesus. It's tough. It's a matter of trust. 
There's times it drives me to my knees in great brokenness. God, why now? Why this? I can't take it. Yes, you can. Trust me. Watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. So we have a choice to make. Here's what Solomon said. God created people to be upright, but they have each turned to follow their own downward path. He's put eternity in our hearts so we might see the big picture, but we constantly turn to follow our own path, and that path is leading us away from God, and it's always downward. Isaiah would put it this way, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, right? Constant theme. We're all following our own path. Solomon counters and he says, notice the way God does things, then fall into line. Don't fight the ways of God. And I believe right now he is speaking his way. He delights to show us his way, his plan. If we're just open to receiving it, some of us are scared to death of receiving God's plan. It'll shake and rock your world, I guarantee it will. But you won't be asking, why is life so meaningless? Because Jesus will be at the center. Sometimes he does ask us to get out of the boat. And I'm going into the storm because Jesus isn't in the boat. Jesus is in the storm. So what will we choose, friends? What will we choose? Man, how he loves you. And he's speaking words of life and hope and encouragement. Fall in the line. Watch what he can do. And if we all do this together, watch what he can do in our church, in our community.